You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Welcome into this week's edition of Big Drive Energy, brought to you by the DraftKings Sportsbook, America's top-rated sportsbook app. This week, we have an interview with associate editor of the PGA Magazine, Ryan Adams. He gives us some great insight on what it's like to write for the PGA Magazine, some of the stories he's written, and the PGA headquarter move he is making from Palm Beach Gardens, Florida to Frisco, Texas. All right, let's tee it up with PGA professional, Ryan Adams. Hello, friends. Welcome to this tradition unlike any... Did somebody scream mashed potatoes? That was mashed. <laughs> All right. And in this special edition of Big Drive Energy, we have an interview with uh, one of my friends that I got to go to college with for a couple of years down at the University of Colorado, Colorado Springs and a current associate editor with PGA Magazine, Mr. Ryan Adams, comma, PGA. How are you, man? Good to see you and good to talk to you. It's been a while. I love that you got the comma PGA in there, too, because, uh, you know, as PGA professionals, we love when people have comma PGA after our name. No, I'm doing good, man. I'm happy to be here. Yeah, if, if doctors can do it, man, why can't we? Like, that's, it. that's what we worked. We literally worked four and a half, five years to get that those three letters. Right, so we right, got right. Exactly. So Ryan, you recently moved to Texas and me being uh, not the greatest PGA member that I am got a little confused by that. Um, I thought I'm, I'm still friends with you on Facebook. So I saw the move, uh, move from Palm Beach Gardens, Florida up to Texas. What, uh, what was the reasoning for that? Why are you now in Texas when it seems like the Mecca of the PGA was in Florida? Yeah, no, good question. Um, so a couple of years back, the PGA of America did like an RFP, uh, just looking for um, places to potentially expand to for a new headquarters. 
And part of my job with PGA Magazine is to serve as liaison between the PGA of America and PGA Magazine. So the PGA Magazine is actually, for those that don't know, like a separate company run by a separate company. And we're contracted to do a monthly magazine for the PGA. So um, Frisco, Texas was one of the places that they had locked in on. And they officially um, kind of started the process of moving their headquarters out there um, a couple of years ago in 20, late 2018, early 2019, I think. And um, so, as you can probably imagine, since everyone is going to Frisco, Texas, that's where I have to head to because part of my job is to interact with the PGA of America staff members and get ideas from them for the magazine and kind of have a, a pulse on what they're thinking and what's going on. And it really makes think my job a lot easier when I know the person versus like going in in suits and being like, Hey, we're PGA magazine. Like what ideas do you have for us sort of thing? So it, it's a little bit more um, uh, casual of a relationship, I guess you could say, because like some of them are my good buddies and their friends. And so they're, it's easier for us to just interact in general. So um, that's why I recently just moved uh, the beginning of, last month from Jupiter, Florida, um, where in the PGA of America headquarters, they still have a presence in Palm Beach Gardens, Florida, but their main office starting next year will be in uh, Frisco, Texas. So that's why I'm here now. And um, we'll probably be working out of that office full time when it opens up. So that's awesome. Did you, so I think like, I get all the P I get PGA magazine. I get like golf magazine. I get all the things that we get as like PGA professionals just randomly at my address, but I'm pretty sure in PGA magazine, when either when the switch was made or recently, fairly recently, there was like an article on this move was, is, am I off there? Or was that you guys that did that with like, I just remember seeing like a big picture of like the entire facility that you guys were building. It's a crazy, crazy outfit that's being built from the ground up, which is awesome that you get to be there from like ground zero, basically the start of it to what it's going to become when you guys fully move in there. Yeah, no. And actually, I think I think the article you're talking about was one that I wrote and it was um, and based based on an interview we had with the PGA's chief membership officer, John Easterbrook, who um, is a great guy and really passionate about the project. And so he was kind of detailing to me, like when the um, headquarters would open, what's going to be there, why they move there. Um, there's going to be two golf courses there, two 18 hole golf courses that'll host like PGA championships and KPMG women's PGA championships down the road. So talking about that. Um, and so that, yeah, that article was kind of one of the first times we covered kind of the nitty gritty details of what PGA Frisco will be. And then um, we'll probably do the, do an even deeper dive into PGA Frisco uh, next spring in PGA magazine too. So more like progress photos and kind of what it looks like from from when it started to now and, and interviews with, with people involved. So it'll be, it'll be a cool story. Hell yeah. That is, that's how awesome. big, of, how big of a dumbass is Spencer that you actually wrote the article and Spencer's like, I, I think you guys put out an article and, and he, he well, wrote the hold article. On. First of I, all, he's the hot, he's the podcast host. So and I started <laughs> talking to you guys. So maybe towards the end, I'll give him some more grief. Yeah. Oh yeah. You got to talk some shit to him. That's awesome. Well, so I just remember seeing it. Well, I do remember though, 
when we got out of college, cause I didn't, I wasn't on like Facebook a ton or following a lot of the kids we went to college with, especially when you're in the diff- a different grade, like the kids that were in my grade, yeah. you know, I know kind of where they are, what they're doing, if they're still in the golf business, et cetera. But I remember reading right when you started a P- an article and I was like, Ryan Adams, that like the right, like Ryan Adams that I know. And then I started <laughs> like looking into it more. I was like, holy shit, this guy, like, this is awesome. This is great to see. Yeah. Yeah. And that all kind of started like, um, kind of like, like kind of meant to be almost, I guess you could say like, so to take you back, like, so after I graduated in 2014 from UCCS, the PGA golf management program, I went on an internship three months down to PGA of America headquarters in in Florida. So my dad and I drove down there. Um, I'm originally from Minnesota. So we went from Minnesota down to Florida, Um, quite a road trip. It was when the Chicago Blackhawks were kind of in the mix and we stopped in like the middle of nowhere, Georgia at a bar where we were like, not very welcome or we're not <laughs> watched hockey. I was going to say, they're like, like What's Hey, the Blackhawks are playing like, and they're, they just looked at us like, who are the Blackhawks? Like, <laughs> what's, what's hockey? Like they had no idea. So they put us in like a far end corner of the bar and we're like, yeah, just have your beers and watch your hockey or whatever. So anyways, but so that was kind of on our way down to Palm beach gardens. And I did a three month internship there and was in the communications department and it was kind of like a dream job sort of thing like they they got you got you got to meet like the c-suite level um, executives at the pga and talk to them and ask questions and be involved in like communication stuff like i was on a conference call with jack nicholas ahead of the 2014 pga championship because it was at valhalla which is of course jack um, designed and so that was really cool but it was only three months. And so I needed to kind of figure out my final three months to get PGA membership. And so I moved to the education department and actually worked for the university programs department, which was cool. Cause I was felt like I was kind of giving back to UCCS and, and the other 17 programs that were there. And I just wasn't like finding that I was enjoying it every day. And I was writing articles about PGA golf management um, in PGA magazine and got to know the editorial assistant really well. He told me one day, he's like, Hey Ryan, you know, I just want to let you know first because um, I'm actually headed to golf tech to go take a job there. And I recommended you for my job. And I'm just kind of like, Whoa. (laughs) Okay. That's awesome. I don't think anyone else has actually applied for it. And so I said, you would be a great fit and, you know, just take it from there. And so I left one day at a uh, lunch to, to go meet with our editorial director, my current boss or the editorial director. And he was kind of walking me through what I would do. And he said, Hey, I haven't talked to anyone else. I've heard from multiple people who I trust and know and believe in that you're the guy that could help us out. And so basically kind of like said, no one else is considered except you, would you want to take the job? And so it was kind of like, I was just almost in the right place at the right time. And that was my goal going down to PGA headquarters to begin with, is that's like kind of where the magic happens, you know, things happen at PGA headquarters, whether it's, you know, developing plans for major championships or the Ryder cup or new initiatives that they want to do. And I knew just by being in the building that I would get exposed to something special. So, and that's what happened with PGA magazine. So now I've been for um, the last shoot it was I think since February February of 2016 is when I started so just over just over almost six years now so how cool is that dude that yeah that that's just got to be unreal well 
to backtrack a little bit, so how did you originally get into golf? And then um, where did you all internship throughout college up until that point? Yeah, so um, my path is a probably a lot, or in golf is probably a lot like yours. I was introduced to it at an early age. Um, you know, a lot of family members played golf, and I kind of grew up like going through um, the first tee program at a local public facility. And eventually like loved to play and played in junior leagues, which by the way, I wish they had PJ junior league and drive trim putt when we were kids, because I would be in those every year for sure. <laughs> but hopefully my kids are, will be able to play in that, but to be able to go to Augusta when you're like six, I mean, it's just like six unreal. So cool. But anyway, so, um, kind of exposed to it that way. And then, um, played junior leagues and played uh, local public leagues and really got into it and then played all four years um, varsity golf in Minnesota and then um, figured I needed a high school, a job during high school and started volunteering for the first tee chapter that I grew up in. And then the guy who ran the facility was like, would you want to work here during the fall and the summer? And I was like, sure. And so started working there in high school and then kind of worked my way up um, to finding out that there was actually a way you could turn that high school job into like an actual career through the PGA golf management program. I don't know how you kind of found out about it, Spencer, but like, I honestly was like, I don't know what to do, but I love golf. And my mom's like, well, let's Google like golf careers. And obviously like, you know, the, uh, a couple of options come up and like the second option was this page on pga.com or.org with 18 universities across the country that have golf management. And I'm just like looking at, it's like, it's like one of those gifts where you're like looking at someone like, Oh my God, like this is actually a thing. And it's like, so we, we clicked on it and Arizona state was one of the programs and I'm like, Oh, Phil Mickelson went to Arizona state, but they have a great PGA golf management program. And we booked a trip to go out there and visit it. And like a month later, they closed down their program. <laughs> so that's when I looked elsewhere. And so I looked at um, Ferris state, in Michigan, um, Nebraska, in Lincoln, and then Colorado. And I actually we booked a trip to go out there. And I actually had just got diagnosed with type one diabetes that fall. And so I was still kind of fresh and new and um, in that world. And my family was kind of rocked by that. So my mom and I went out there and we met with a PJ professional and Spencer probably knows his name, um, Ed Kevel. And, legend. Yep. Legend. Yeah, exactly. Um, and Ed like walked us around the UCCS campus and the suite, you know, the, where the golf management people, uh, faculty was. And then he, we sat down and we're like at this table and he said, well, do you have any questions for me? And like, we kind of had the, you know, the basic BS questions like, you know, like what's this and that. And then my mom asked him like, you know, Ryan just got diagnosed with, and I was like, mom, like, don't ask this question. But like, anyways, as all moms do. Stop, mom. <laughs> exactly. So she's like, well, Ed, you know, we, we love everything you got here, but Ryan actually just got diagnosed with type one diabetes, you know, and we're trying to find a place where he'll feel comfortable and welcome and where people can kind of look out for him. So he doesn't struggle. And he said, and like, Spencer, you'll know this voice is like, Linda, you got nothing to worry about. 
I'll take care of Ryan and I'll visit with him every week to make sure he's all checked out and ready to go. And, and so like, he just, it kind of was like a father figure sort of person to everybody in the program. Like you knew, like he was kind of the guy that would take you, put put his arm around you and everything is okay with Ed sort of thing. And so that's what sold me on UCCS. And, um, you know, unfortunately he, he passed away uh, about halfway through my time there, but it was still like a lot of the people who knew him kind of tried to carry on that legacy. And we all kind of like try to look out for each other. And so that was a, another cool part of being at UCCS in the, in the PGA golf management program is although Ed wasn't there for my last two years, we kind of felt like we were all together because we knew him and he, and he put a lot of um, faith in us and we had a lot of learned a lot from him. So that was another, uh, probably one of my, um, role models growing up, you know, in, in the golf industry is Ed Kebble and just the way he kind of helped me kind of believe in myself. And who knows if he didn't push me to like write articles and continue writing about golf. Um, because I wrote for our, our UCCS college newspaper, the scribe and wrote about the golf teams and stuff. And he kind of pushed me to, to do that. And I don't know if he would have, if he would have done, wouldn't have done that if I would have be, you know, with PJ magazine today. So. Yeah. yeah I know. Was, Ed was an awesome dude. No, like your story. It's so funny. It's like the exact same as mine. Like we got into golf when we were 10, 11, 12, our mom, like was just, she was playing on a women's league at the course we now run basically, which is kind of cool, but she got us into golf and we had horrible golf. You know, we just played baseball and we kind of self-taught ourselves how to play golf and then got like virtually obsessed with it by the middle of high school. We were watching every PGA event every weekend. We were watching big break. We'd go home every night and watch the golf channel, like just fully Love big break. Yeah. Fully immersed. Donatello. Yeah, exactly. And like fully <laughs> immersed in it. And then I finally got like older, like 16, 17, getting into my senior year of high school. And I was like, what am I going to do with my life? Like I have to figure out something. And when I research more into the golf management program, if you're in, if you're like remotely good at like, or just like into the, into the game of golf and, and semi on the business of golf too, it, it, it guarantees you a job unless you're an idiot. Like, I don't mean to sound rude, but like you, you do these internships. The last one basically guarantees you a job. And I was like, I got to get out of college and get a job right away. Like that was my mind mindset. And I was like, I like golf, you know, I love it. I love playing it. I, I didn't really know the business of it at that point. I'd worked as a cart kid, but nothing crazy. And then I was like, all right, well, this is what I'm going to do. You know, like I, I am sure there's people out there that love the game of golf and like the business of golf way more than I do. But it was something that just got me into like my foot in the door. And I was like, okay, I can get a job. And now it's grown to be what it has. And I'm like, wow, it's just, it's crazy to think because now I, and I don't know if you ran into this much in high school, um, our high school, which Mitchell and I currently coach, uh, at Elizabeth, um, where the high school golf coach is like, there's not like golf is not a thing there. It's, it's like more of a, a football. We're really good at gymnastics, but like, it's a country school, you know, there's not many kids. There's a golf course that's private, not private. The golf course we work at spring Valley, which is like uh, exclusive to Elizabeth high school. Like they got to practice for free, but people don't, really like light love golf out there I should say and um we were kind of the ones that like not pioneered the program but when we were playing we made it like into a like competitive getting people into golf and like in high school people made fun of us all the time like oh you play golf like and I'm like dude we missed the whole day of school bro like you don't yeah. understand how cool this is and now yeah, yeah exactly and now that we're at the age we're at 
I'm sure you have this. If you grew up with those friends that didn't golf, they're like texting you for tea times and like, Hey, can you help me with my swing? And they're all obsessed with it now. And you get into your, you know, a past college age and even in college, you know, we'd love to go golf on the weekends. So it's kind of funny to see that cycle of life where everybody made fun of us for playing golf and like, Oh, it's, you're not a football player. You're not this. And then all of a sudden they're like, Oh dude, you want to go golf? I'm like, Oh, now you want to play golf? Like it's, it's hilarious. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's, it's kind of crazy how it, it kind of come full circle now where you're like, you know, experiencing, like you can get, you know, you can go play golf pretty much. And that's one of the better perks of being a PGA in, in the golf industry is going to play other courses. And, you know, your buddies are like, Hey, can I come with? And I've tried to kind of pay that for pay that back to my, you know, my parents and uncles and stuff who kind of introduced me to the game and taking them to places. But yeah, it is funny how that, how that shakes out. I do have one, one Ed Kevill story that I wanted to share. So as you know, Spencer, you have to, part of the PGM program is you have to pass the playing ability test where you have to shoot two scores around par. Um, and that's, you need to pass that in order to become a PGA member. And so I did mine at um, Elmwood in Pueblo. I think, I think that's right. Elmwood. Yeah. That's mm-hmm. yeah. Yep. Kind of a little bit of a, um, wide open place, perfect for PATs, right? Like, you know, like there, how can I not pass here, you know, sort of thing. And so we went down there a few times for practice rounds and then I'm like, well, this is, you know, a good shot for me. Cause I was at that point, I was kind of one of those guys that just hit it like off the map, like push blocks, like 40 yards. Right. Like I, <laughs> I played a slinger draws as most people know, growing up in, in Minnesota and then in Colorado. And so when if I could match my hands up, I was deadly, but when they weren't matched up, I was like boned. So <laughs> it was great because it was wide open. So I'm like, Oh, this is perfect. Like I can hit it all over the map. I'll be in the other fairway and hit it over the trees and onto the green anyways. So we get down there. And as you guys both know, the weather in Colorado can change from one day to the next. So literally two days before it was sunny and 75 we got to the course, it was like kind of like one of those um, days where you could feel it was going to be like really windy and it was windy the whole day and not just like 10, 15 miles an hour, like 20 to 30 miles an hour. Like I was playing with one guy who had a shot and his ball, like went backwards, like into the wind. (laughs) Okay. Like I'll just do my best. And I think I shot like, I think it was 77 the first round and I needed to shoot 149 um, to pass. And so I needed to shoot 71. And so, um, I was kind of like, well, the worst I could do is just like not pass and I can just do it again. But I like started just like draining 15 footers for par, like out of nowhere in the second round. And I'm like, felt like it was felt like, like Bugs Bunny was underneath the hole and like using the magnet and like bringing it towards the hole. Cause like there was breaks that I never saw and it just would go right in the center of the cup. So I'm like, okay, something is like going on here. And I, there's a putt on like the 17 fold element where it was like a 30 footer and it like broke down the slope and right into the hole for birdie. And I'm like, this is it. Like I'm going to pass. And so the last hole I hit a really good tee shot and then kind of chickened out on a little wedge and ended up three putting and bogeyed. And I thought I had lost it by one, but I actually passed right on the number. And the guy that was keeping my score was like, you thought you, you thought you didn't pass. Right. I'm like, yeah, I missed it by one. He's like, no, no, you, you just need a bogey. You're good. So I passed right on the number. 
And so there was, I think, um, maybe 20 or 30 of us from ECCS. And the next day we had a tournament at the Broadmoor, um, the mountain course. And it was also windy up there and we're all on the putting green. It's like seven 30 in the morning and I'm still like running on high, like in, and just loving life. Cause I passed my, my PAT. I don't need to take it again. It's all go all over. And people are kind of talking and I hear Ed, he's kind of got that voice that carries like yards after yards and He's like, yeah, I heard, you know, no one passed last yesterday at Elmwood. Like, that, you guys had some pretty crazy wins. And then someone, I can't remember who it was, yells like, no, Ryan Adams passed. And, like, he looks over at me. He's like, Ryan, you passed? Get over here and give me a big hug. And so he just, like, comes waddles over and he gives me, like, this big bear hug. And I'm just like – and there's all these, like, donors to the program there and it's just like he didn't give a bleep like he's like one of my one of my boys just passed like he deserves to be recognized so that was probably my my coolest ed kettle story on my time in the program i'll never forget that so yeah ed is honestly i didn't spend that much time with him but spencer i knew loved him and when i met him like you said it was just like he was kind of like everybody's dad there. Like if you needed something, he was always there. If you had any questions <clears throat> just to bounce stuff off of him, he was, he was just the best. He was awesome. Yeah, really was special guy. Miss him every day. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So when you, um, when you got into college and then, so we had to do the first internship the three month and then the six month, Two, two part question here for you. Did, where did you go on both of those and why? And then I guess it's a three part question. Did you kind of have this writing thing or like think of it? Cause you know, with our degrees, we're in the golf business, but there's so many different routes you can go. You can be a full-time teacher. You can be PGA pro. You can work at PGA headquarters. You can um, end up kind of fizzling up, not fizzling off, but going into more of the maintenance side of it. Like so did you know you wanted to do this writing thing? Was that like a main thing for you? And then where were the internships and did either of those internships push you towards this or were you mostly just working at a golf course? Yeah. So um, I'll answer your second question first, just to kind of, so um, basically I looked at my internships as like a chance to experience all the different facilities that are in the golf industry, private, public resort, and, you know, off course or whatever. So I worked at a public course in high school growing up. So I knew what that experience was like. So my first internship was at a private club in um, Wyzetta, Minnesota called Wyzetta Country Club. And it's a special place for our family because my grandpa was a member there. And then my uncle was a member there. And then they, they had, they've had like three head pros in their, in their history. So it's like one of those places that is like really kind of a really cool place. And you know, Hazeltine and, and Interlock can get a lot of love um, for the private scene in Minnesota, but I I attest that Wyzetta is equally as good as, as one of those courses. But so I did my first three month there. And then the second one I did at a resort course um, called Cragen's Legacy Courses, which is in an area of Minnesota, two hours north of Minneapolis called Brainerd. And it's like basically like a summer, like people go there go they call it going up north I guess is the phrase and you go there like you have cabins there and it's like a there's a chain of lakes so it's basically just like full-time party from like Memorial Day to Labor Day pretty much people golf in the mornings they go out on the boats at, at in the afternoons drink all afternoon and then come and do it the next day sort of thing so that was kind of the vibe at that course in our 
the director of golf there, um, Chuck Lukatsky, he was just another legend like Ed, just great guy, great mentor. Um, and so that was another experience. And the cool part about that was there's a hockey player who um, plays for the Washington Capitals, TJ Oshie. And he was, he would come and visit um, that course a lot. So it was funny, like you would find like balls that say like Osh 74 on it or whatever in the woods. And you're like, had a tough time with that one, didn't you? He, he lost another one. <laughs> so it was, it was funny. It was funny kind of like seeing him and he's just a normal guy and, you know, loves playing golf. And so that was kind of a fun experience to be at like a, a place where people want to come, you know, it was, was Craigans. And then, um, so that was for three months or four months. And then I did my other two months at a lifetime fitness, um, which had a golf center in the lifetime fitness. So that was kind of like the off course, um, internship. And that one was, was kind of like where I found that I could probably, cause I did a lot of like writing, um, for their Facebook page and a lot of like content creation. So I'm like, I could write about golf, like pretty regularly. I think like that could be like a job. And I met he, like the guy who ran the facility was close to like a local Minnesota golf, um, magazine called tea times. And so I kind of figured like, Hey, this could be something I could do. So once I kind of transitioned after Craigans and kind of had like the public private resort down, I figured, well, like you said, Spencer, there's so many different industries and there's actually like a badge or a, a scroll that they had at PGA headquarters in Palm beach gardens, where it was like all the different um, responsibilities, job titles you could have as a PGA member. And I always thought that was so cool. Cause it's like, you don't have to be just a head pro. You don't have to start out as assistant head pro director of golf GM. You don't, there's, there's multiple routes you can go, which makes it more fun, except that the PGM program is always kind of geared for you to start out as an assistant and then you go to be a head pro and then you be a director of golf and you kind of do other things on the side. So it was kind of like, well, there's gotta be other options. And I remember when I did my last internship at PGA headquarters, there was kind of like this push, like, well, it's only three months. Like, are you sure you want to do it? And it's like, heck yeah, I want to do it. Like, this is my one chance to get into, get my, like you said, get your foot in the door and like figure out a way forward to do writing and golf for a career and, and end up being working out great. So I guess like my advice, if you're out there and you're thinking about a career in golf is just know that there are a lot of different avenues you can go and you can do different things even if you're a director of golf, like you can specialize in teaching and coaching, or if you want to be own your facility one day, you can do executive management or for you guys like golf operations and kind of running a facility there. So knowing that, you know, there's those, all those different avenues out there kind of kept me grounded. And I knew um, eventually I would find something that fit what I wanted to do, which was to write about golf. So. Dude, that's awesome. And yeah, I, I love hearing about everybody else's like journeys because we all get here somehow and you kind of get to get to where you're at and you look back and you're like, holy shit, like that actually happened. And I think it's kind of like any any walk of life or any work, but still, I think it's super cool. So um, here's another one. So now that you've written multiple articles, obviously travel different places, seen different things. What do you think is your favorite article you've ever written? Oh man. Um, gosh, there's been a lot, a lot of good interviews, a lot of good, um, people to, to talk to. 
Give us a couple, couple of your favorites. Um, well, one definitely came this year when I wrote the uh, recap story for when Phil Mickelson won the PGA championship. I mean, that was to be there and then to kind of experience like that and know kind of what had happened there. And then to write, you know, 2000 words about it was just like something that you, that, that I've always wanted to do. And it took me a while to kind of like figure out like what I was going to say about it and like what how do you kind of describe like this iconic moment in golf history and so I came up with the the you know because Phil Mickelson was 50 years old when he won and I just basically said Phil foils father time like you know how father time always catches up with people and you hear that all the time in sports but it was like this one time where Phil actually did a head fake on father time and won the the PGA championship so that would probably be my favorite one. And, and then, um, and the, the second one's probably got to be when I covered the 2016 Ryder cup because it was in Minnesota and it was like a really special, it was my first like Ryder cup. And to be there for that was so special. And I had my family there and then I was able to write, you know, another 3000 words about the experience there from start on Friday morning, all the way to Sunday afternoon and everything that went on and, all the special moments and stuff. So that was, that, those are two were, were probably the coolest, but I've also interviewed like PGA professionals who, you know, have gone through a lot of stuff and they've been willing to share that with me and felt comfortable sharing with me and um, trying to think of a couple articles that uh, other, other ones that I did, but those two, um, the Phil Nicholson one and then the Ryder cup one, um, definitely stand out. And then there's just been, you know, stories here and there that have been really special and that I'm glad I was able to, to write them. And it's always nice to hear when they get the magazine and they're like, wow, like you did a great job with your article. And it's, that's always something cool to hear. I'm sure you guys get the same with your podcasts or your, your content. And when someone responds and says, you know, this was, you did a really nice job with this and it turned out really well. Um, that's always a cool thing to hear. So, yeah, yeah. And I've written it, written or read, I was going to say written, read a ton of your articles and a ton of the articles in the PGA magazine because it keeps you, you know, there's all different avenues that can be taken, even in the PGA magazine. So many different things you can write about. And I do want to get into that a little bit, but I have something first. So, I'm assuming from Minnesota, you're a, are you a Vikings fan? No, I'm actually a Chicago Bears fan because my dad's from Chicago. So we uh, we grew up like watching the Bears and Blackhawks and Chicago Cubs and stuff. So I, I kind of wish I was a Vikings fan because I would classify the Bears as a certified dumpster fire right now. So <laughs> so I, we, we kind of feel that sometimes, too. And uh, this so this week uh, we're so we have a, a partnership with DraftKings Sportsbook and DraftKings Sportsbook is putting all football fans in the action with a no-brainer bet this week with DraftKings, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. All that needs to happen is a single point needs to be scored in a game. You bet $1 and you get $100 in free bets at DraftKings Sportsbook. You can also use same-game parlays, which are combining a bunch of bets into one in the same game, and the more legs you add, the more money you can win. Don't forget DraftKings is safe, secure, and reliable, and you can deposit and withdraw money at whenever you want to. So it's it's... 
super easy to withdraw and deposit money and get those bets in every Sunday for, unfortunately for your bears, it's not a great team to bet on. Same with our Broncos. It's hit or miss, but download the DraftKings Sportsbook app. Now use that promo code DNVR Bet $1 on any team to score. Uh, maybe don't bet the bears or the Broncos. It's a little sketchy for them if they're going to score uh, and you win a hundred dollars in free bets. Use that promo code DNVR to win a hundred dollars in free bets this week at DraftKings Sportsbook, official sports betting partner of the NFL. Must be 21 or older, Colorado only, new customers only. Restrictions do apply. See DraftKings.com sportsbook for details. And if you have a gambling problem, call 1-800-522-4700. All right. So my question is, so I used to dabble in sports writing just like as a joke, kind of not a joke, but like I love it. Like ultimately that's like my ultimate job is like to cover and write about sports um, I used to write for this, like there's a sportsblog.com, that thing that kind of blew up when we were in college. And I remember I wrote a story, unfortunately, um, about the, bo- that the day that the Boston bombing happened at that marathon. And like, I ended up winning like third place for the month, like this article, this sportsblog.com, I don't even know if it's still a thing. Um, but they used to have basically like all freelance writers. Like I was just a college kid that write, wrote for fun, wrote random stories about whatever for fun. And like, if you, they would monetize it for you as if your if your article got X amount of views per month on their website, like they paid like the top 10 or top five. And I remember I got like a $50 deposit in my bank account for getting like third place for like a month, because that article I wrote on that, that um, bombing of the Boston marathon, like blew up because it was like instant people were apparently reading it, finding it wherever. I don't think blew up is the right way to way to put that, but well, for, for the relatively speaking, it blew up anyways. So getting into like your writing and for PGA magazines, which you kind of told us earlier is not necessarily a direct correlation of the PGA, but you're more of two separate entities. Do what guides you to a story? Is it, are you told by anyone like, Hey, we should focus on this. How many writers are like you where it's like, Hey, we want somebody to write a story about this. And do you take it? Or do they just let you have the freedom? Like how does that process work when you start a story? Yeah. So basically we have, um, and this is like by design of our editorial director who is actually, you know, he's a really humble guy and um, is really his background is, is sports writing. Like he's written for NF, NFL publications, NBA publications. He's done photo shoots with Mike Madonna for NHL magazines. Like he's, he like, he know he knows like, so when you get PGA magazine every month, there's like some real sports writing expertise behind it because he knows what works, what doesn't, what gets you to the deadline in time. Cause it's a print magazine. So we have a hard deadline to meet. And so he comes up with a, a thing every month and it's old school Microsoft word. It, and he calls it the edit lineup. And basically it's a rundown of all the sections in PJ magazine. Some things change, some things stay the same, but it kind of tells us like what, what's going to be in the magazine each month, who's going to be writing it, how big of a priority it is, when it's due, how many words. And so we'll usually get that before we start on anything. And then that's kind of what sets the course for, for each PJ magazine. So it all kind of stems from a cover story theme. So, you know, May, 2021 or September, 2021 was the PJ championship or Ryder cup preview. Cause that was the month that the event was happening. So we would do like in-depth conversations with the PJ pros at Kiowa Island and whistling Straits. But then we also do cover stories on like stuff that, Spencer and Mitch can learn um, and 
and, and use at their facility in Colorado. You know, work-life balance, education, using career services, um, diversity and inclusion, PJ Hope with uh, military veterans. So there's a lot of different cover story themes we can do in a course of a year. And then that kind of is like the nucleus of the magazine. And then we do, we have depart, different departments. So we have an equipment department, apparel department, and then we have human interest stories. Like the last page each month is the PGA profile, but it all stems from this edit lineup that um, my boss, Matt creates. And that kind of is basically where everything starts each month for, for PGA magazine. So it's a simple word document, but man, it is, uh, it's pretty much gold for us for, for each month. So. Yeah. And so when you get that, it's like a, oh, I, is it like a surprise, not a surprise. I don't know how to word it correctly, but it's like, oh, I get to write about this. And then do they then push you in like, like for instance, your story on Phil, do they, I guess my question, one of my questions is, do you get tickets to all these events if you want them? Or are you on a strict schedule under them? Or it's like, Hey, you're writing about this, go here or interview this guy. We'll get you the stuff. Or is that kind of from you to push it the way you can push it. Like I need to get this interview and I need to meet with this person, or this would be a good person to meet with. How much freedom do you have in that aspect of it? Yeah, it's kind of a a combo of both. Like some of it is um, I'm not involved in everything either from a writing perspective in the magazine, because we have a smaller staff, like it's just three or four of us. So um, we basically, you know, we have, certain departments that people write about each month. And then I'm kind of like a roaming uh, editor, so to speak. So I'll like help out with photos in some stories that have already been written. And then I'll write some myself and then I'll edit some myself. But like, for example, the story with Phil, like that was going to be an automatic inclusion in the July issue because we would be working on it in June because we work at a month behind when the actual magazine comes out. So that would be an easy story for us to fill pages with recap of Phil's win, some photos of the week at the PGA championship um, below club pros that were there who, who finished, um, you know, the lowest of all the 20 club pros that competed. And so that's, that's just something that we include every time. And then um, there are some stories though, where it's kind of like, it comes from a different source. Like someone says something and then we'll, my, our editorial director will say, Hey, we're going to do this for the PGA profile this month. And then someone will write it and he'll assign us a story. So it's a little bit of both. Um, I would say to answer your question, some of it is assigned to you. And then some of it is like, you kind of got to go out and get it. Like if you feel it's a good story, like it, he's always an open book for story ideas. So we will propose any, any number of them. And, um, Sometimes they he will we'll run them and sometimes we won't. So it's just a matter of kind of what's relevant and if it makes for a good story. So. So what is your most stressful week of every month? Like, cause I could see it kind of on both sides, like first week of every month, you're, you're trying to probably wrap your head around the different stories or what your assignment is for that month. Or it could be the last week where you're trying to button everything up and put it all together to go to print, to put out that next month. Yeah. So usually our deadlines are like around the 14th, 15th, 16th of every month prior. So like, for instance, right now we're working on our January issue. So when I'll try to go to print, we'll try to get that to print by like the 13th or 14th of the month. Sometimes it slides a little bit later, but um, so we're working on that. And that's the, 
the second or third week of the month is usually like, like chaotic, you know, like you got pages like flying around trying to get approval on stuff. This one's missing a photo. This one's missing a comma. Like, and so you just, that's why the edit lineup is so nice to have is because we know like, okay, this is due. You got to, you got to actually write this story and send it in by this date. We're going to design it on this date and it's going to be done by this date. And like, it's kind of based off priority levels, like the cover story, the biggest story each month is like the highest priority usually. So that one usually goes to the printer last and everything else we kind of have already finished. So it's just a matter of like prioritizing, like if you're going to do a lot of writing, you kind of have to do it earlier. If you want to do a lot of writing, you have to do it earlier. And then you'll be able to have those stories included in the magazine. But if you're like, if you haven't written a story by like the third or fourth of the month, it's probably not going to be included just because there's, there's so many other things going on that it, it won't make it, you know? So you have to, it's, 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 it's a kind of a, a balancing act because you want, there's some stories where I want to be included, but I don't have time to write it. So then I have to kind of like figure out what's more important. Is it editing these stories and making sure that, there is spelt right instead of they are or whatever. So, or, or do you write a story that you want to talk about? So there's some, there's some months where I have that ability and there's some months where I just kind of say, you know what, I'll just write it next month. Yeah. And so do you like, can you write a story and be like, Oh, you know, it's the third or the fourth, you're kind of getting on it. Um, but if it's not like a time, cause I feel like the cool thing about PGA magazine, there's, there's a lot of stuff that's time sensitive, but there's also stuff where you're like, Oh, if this gets published next month, it doesn't really, you know, it doesn't matter. Nobody's going to really know that I wrote this two months ago. It's still encompassing of like a, like for instance, a, a profile of a PGA pro, like, or something of that nature, how a golf course runs, or like you talked about PGA hope, like it, it's going to be an important story, but you're like, ah, oh, maybe I need some more time on this one. And then you just get that story pushed over into the next month. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and that's exactly right. It's just, it's just a matter of figuring out like, what's a priority. Like, can this story, run next month. And that'll, that'll happen a lot where like we come kind of get down to the wire and it's like, we need to remove a page from this month to, to meet, you know, the right page count. And so we'll just move a story to the next month. But um, a lot of the times, like the big stories, like the Ryder cup reviews and previews or the PGA championship, like those are baked into the edit lineup. Like those won't change because like you said, it's time sensitive. So like, if you're talking about Phil's win in December, like a recap of the story, it's like, this happened like five months ago. These guys like something like, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, like this, this doesn't know? make any sense. Yeah. So, and that's why it's nice when the championships too, or the Ryder cup are later in the month, because we could, it can be released on like the first of the month. And it's like, wow, you got all month to read this preview story about the, the events or, and then the other cover stories that aren't like about events, you can literally put those on the back shelf at your course and like pick those up anytime you want and, and read like a section and learn something, you know, a year later from it. That's why I save all my PJ magazines, even though when we moved, my mom's like, why do you have all these PJ magazines? Like, <laughs> and Rena, like, come on. I'm just like, well, because you like, you never know when you're going to need someone wants a copy or you need something, an idea from the hard copy or whatever. And it's just like a, classic like kind of like almost like a coffee table edition like you know because you can anyone can really learn something from reading pj magazine yeah i keep all i'm a big magazine keeper no matter what like and now i i i was moving recently and found my uh, tiger woods cover of sports illustrated when he won the masters and i'm like see i'm glad Ooh. i kept that like that's yeah. that's a cool thing to keep like you know just one of those things that you can have in your man cave at some point 
Yep. Um, all right. So one more question when it relates to basically writing stories, what, and, and your, your whole experience with being in the PGA magazine and being part of that, what was your first like moment where you're like, it, for lack of a better term, holy shit, this is real. Like, I, you know, like whether it was the first time you met somebody or interviewed somebody one-on-one or saw someone or saw your name, even in the PGA magazine, like right there, you know, it always says the name, like right below the article. Like what was your first like, whoa moment for you? Hmm. Um, I would probably say the first cover story I wrote, which was like, it, it told me like, it kind of showed me like how, um, like how much work goes into this big of a story. Like, yeah, I started had had, it was about like how PGA assistants can prosper in the industry and you can do it through networking or you can do it through, um, education and all, and all sorts of different stuff. So like my, our editorial director said, Ryan, I need you to organize a photo shoot. I need you to write this story like months ahead of time. It needs to be ready by this date. So I had to like put a lot of work into it and I had to organize a photo shoot and like, it was like getting up at like 5am and getting it all ready and getting the people organized and finding, you know, the right people for it. We need to have good diversity on the cover and making sure that, you know, we're showing all sorts of sides of the, of the association. And so then to see that like come out and it's like this big spread cover and it says cover story at the very top of it. And then it says by Ryan Adams, PGA is like, okay, like this is pretty cool. Like, like this is the, the story of PGA magazine each month. And I just wrote it, you know, sort of thing. Like this is, it's like a, the main cover story in sports illustrated or, or a, a in-depth profile of the latest basketball player or football player, whatever, you know, like you, you're the focal point of the magazine of like 200 pages, your story means the most to this magazine. And it's going to, if it's good, people are going to love it. And if it's not good, people are going to hate it. So like, you just kind of have to live with that reality, but it turned out really well. And um, I would say the second, the second, the second moment came um, actually this year when I, so for the PGA championship or KPMG women's PGA championship or Ryder cup, they, the PGA extends um, press credentials to PGA magazine. So you can walk inside the ropes. And when I was with, so basically I was in the media center Sunday of PGA championship and I'm like kind of framing my story. I'm like, I wonder if Phil's going to win this. Like he's kind of like, it was kind of early on Brooks and him were kind of, Brooks kept her going back and forth with him and, and Phil and, And then I got a text from my dad and he's like, where are you right now? And I'm like, oh, I'm just in the media center. And he's basically like, WTF, get out on the course right now. Like it's Phil. And I'm like, yeah, good point. (laughs) (laughs) So I got that text and I just ran out to to meet Phil and and Brooks's group. And the moment where I'm like, okay, I've officially made it is when I was walking like kind of up along the rope put the rope over my head and go underneath the rope and walk inside the rope. And there's all these like South Carolina frat boys. Like, what's that guy doing? Like, he just walk right inside the rope. And I'm just like, yeah, because I got my press credential. <laughs> Trying not oh, to make it deal, but it was, uh, when you, when you're kind of like at the center of the golf world and you can be like even closer to like the sun of that center like you know when it's like the spotlight is as hot as it's going to get in anywhere in in the golf world and you're like feet from that happening it's really cool so that was probably another 
another moment for sure where I'm like, this is, this is the job I've always wanted for sure. Dude, that sounds unreal. Um, well, so I have one more question since you're in the industry like us, I'm sure you've played golf in a lot of different places. What is your favorite golf course? If you had to pick one, like a, a name that people would recognize that you've ever played that you're just like, this place is badass. Wow. That's a good question. Um, hmm. I played, um, so I'll, so it's a course that might not, um, be like firsthand knowledge. Like it's not like an Augusta or a Pine Valley or whatever, but there's a course, um, in Mexico, um, just north of Puerto Vallarta, which is like on the West coast of Mexico. And it's called Punta Mita. And it's like this private, um, golf course resort, four seasons resort. And it's like its own little enclave, but the, the, if you Google it, you'll see why, like it's my favorite course because they have this hole they call three B and it's, you play the third hole is a par three and it goes right towards the ocean. And then you basically walk out to this three B T and you have to take like a cart on a rock path out to a natural rock formation where the green is. So you basically hit your shot, either it goes in the water, Pacific ocean, or it goes on the green. You hop over and there's guys and gals ready to drive you over on this path. And you can only play it when the tide's out. Otherwise you path is like inaccessible. So you take that card out and then you go play on the green, like out in the middle of the ocean. And then you get back in your cart and you go back on the path and then you go to hole four. And it's just like an epic, like course right by the ocean. There's so many views of the ocean, the ninth hole, they bring, they bring you like a little fruit smoothie and a cold towel. And then they have this like halfway house where it's like anything you want, you can get and, I just remember the very first time I played there, um, the director of golf let my dad and myself and my brother come out and we just had like a gas, like we had cigars going, like we had, you know, drinks flowing. And it was just like, it's one of those moments where like, you're, I'm like, this wouldn't happen if I'm, if I wasn't in the golf industry, like I would never be able to send that email or, or meet this guy or, or let these people or let go out on this course. And so Punta Mita is, is always been number one for me, but I've played Dude, great courses and I'm, I'm lucky. So that sounds unreal. Well, so with that hole, is it covered like when it's high tide, does it cover the green? No, no. So it's, it's like a natural rock formation, like a circular rock. And then they have a green on it and it's high enough up to where, okay. like it kind of sticks out by on its own. But like the path to get out there is only accessible when the tide's out because otherwise, like, as you can imagine, like if you take a golf cart out there, like, and you're, you know, it's <laughs> wheels, like, and then you get stuck. It's like you're in the ocean. So, yeah, that's that's insane, dude. Yeah, it's really cool. You have to Google it when we're done here, but it's uh, it's a special spot, that's for sure. Yeah, and that's one of the things we've learned. You've learned probably really well, and. Um, you just learn when you're in the golf business is it, the, the oldest saying in the book, it's not what, you know, it's who, you know, and this, this business, there's nothing that embodies that more. And like, I, I'm, I'm going to be kind of conceited here. This is one of our like best podcasts we've ever done. And I'm pumped to like put this out, but it's because like, 
I was like, oh shit, rock. Like, why have I not gotten Ryan on? Like this dude is in the middle of everything writing for PGA magazine. Like this is awesome. And it's, and it's as simple as playing golf or like, you know, I got to play whistling straights last year and it's kind of become a bit on this podcast because I say it like every time and Mitchell just gets so annoyed. Um, but like being a PGA pro, all I did was email the pro there. He got us on for like 60 bucks walking. We had, uh, it was me and my fiance and we had the whole course to ourselves. There was snow on the golf course. Like it was the most unreal experience I've ever had to this day, but like that doesn't happen if you're just like a, even if you're a CEO, like you're paying more than that, or you're not necessarily getting on, but the pro was so cool. And that's one of the things I love to see is like, we, you know, we have a pretty good golf course in Colorado. We're not top 50 maybe, but like if somebody wants to come pay in their PGA pro, we're like, yeah, absolutely. Come on out. Like reciprocate that for us. We just want to go play, you know, playing a, a five of 10 golf course for free and feeling like you're something or, you know, not necessarily feeling bigger, but like, yo, I got on here for free versus paying for a 10 out of 10 is like better nine times out of 10. And like, Hey, they reciprocated that. Let me hook you up and stuff like that. So what, you know, is, is very rarely a bigger thing than who, you know, especially in the golf business. Yeah. Well, I just want to say one more, one more thing. And it's the story I've been wanting to tell you guys, because it was just so epic. It's the, it's at Kiowa. And so kind of continuing where I was just saying, where I kind of jumped the rope and went inside the, and went inside the, the ropes. So I'm following Phil and it's Sunday afternoon, Sunday evening, and people are liquored up like Phil Mickelson's in the lead of the PGA championship. It's like pretty much like a, a rock concert. And it's, it's an awesome atmosphere. Like, it's just, like you don't get that in golf. Like, it's just like, this is unreal, but it was kind of at the point where like, it was kind of like bubbling up like the intensity. And so I'm following along with Phil, which is so cool. Like he's like literally like walking like right in front of me. So I follow him up 16, 17. I don't know if you guys remember, but he hits it over the green into like this tall brush gets it out on the green somehow and then almost makes par and then bogeys. So I thought he was dead when he hit it there on 17 i was like oh my god yeah. he's so i was double. behind the tee box like watching his shot and i think it was like all adrenaline like he probably needed to take a club less but just pumped it over the green and everyone's like oh god like hopefully he doesn't hit it in the water got out of there with bogey and then we're on, i'm on 18 tee box and like walked kind of like behind the tee watched his tee shot he hit it like through the fairway just a bomb like way past brooks kepka and he's walking ahead of me and I'm just like taking in the moment, I'm like, this is like so awesome. Like I'm right here in the middle of the biggest moment in golf so far this year. And like Phil Mickelson is going to win the PGA championship. He's one of my favorite golfers growing up and here he is, whatever. But like the, so the hole like kind of goes up to the, this way to the right towards the green and there's grandstands all along the left side and hospitality tents, but there's a path that once the players get past that cross path, you can get to the right side of the fairway and then fall go up the right side of the fairway. So what happened was once that like the group crossed the fill and like media and stuff, people, instead of like staying behind the rope and going to the right side of the fairway started going underneath the rope and just like walking like next to us. And so I'm like walking up and one of the guys that come underneath the rope, it was Eric church, like the country music guy. So him and his buddies are walking up the fairway. And then there's like, now there's like, not just him and 10 other people, there's like hundreds of people and they start walking, walking, and then they start running and running. And now there's people running up the fairway. And I'm like one of them. And I'm like, 
this is so cool. I'm next to Eric Church, but I also have to like make sure I make it out of this crowd alive. And so I just started running and booking it. And then they formed this line like behind Phil, like the four or five security guards there. I mean, it was just kind of like, I don't know if you guys have seen Game of Thrones, but it was like Jon Snow. He pulls out the sword and there's all these horses running to him. It was kind of like that. And so I made it through and was able to get on the other side. And I never like got a picture or a video of it, but there's just like all these people now are in the fairway behind Phil. You can only see Phil a little bit. You can't see Brooks Kepka. He's like in the crowd. Eric Church is somewhere in there too. They finally spit him out. And so basically Eric Church is walking in front of me and I'm just like, I'm going to follow him because he has a security guard. So at least if like I get beat up, like maybe he'll help me out. (laughs) So he walked up to the green and then just kind of watched everybody just flood the fairway and flood around the green. And there's a picture, Spencer and PJ Magazine in the July issue, if you still have that one, where it's like a overview of the green and it's like you can see where the crowd on the outside of the ropes are and then you can see like the inside portion of the crowd and it's just like it looks like Phil's like you know Robert Plant like at a Led Zeppelin concert like he just is like in the middle of all these people and and there I am like taking a picture for PG Magazine like in the corner I'm like this is so awesome it's just like it was unbelievable. So that was probably the highlight of my year for sure is, is him winning. And then to make it even better, the very next day, I have a good golf media buddy who I met in West Palm Beach. And he and I played Pinehurst number two. So I drove after watching Phil win up to Pinehurst in North Carolina and then teed off the next morning on number two at 8 a.m. So awesome. that is probably the best 24-hour stretch of my 2021 maybe of my life (laughs) yeah that's incredible and I think one thing that gets uh kind of overlooked in golf and like covering golf like when you watch it on tv a lot of people that aren't really into it are like they'll first of all no one can really appreciate the greatness of each shot even in your classic mid-season pga tour event but like the atmosphere of that when you're there is just so much different than it looks on TV or it just feels so different that I think that gets overlooked in golf a lot. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so one thing we always finish up our podcast with, we have this segment called fairway or four. And since we just kind of sprung this on you, we'll give you the, we'll, we'll, we'll let you go last, but we'll each give you one. And so basically what we do, it can be Mostly, you know, your world is submerged in golf, so it can be something from the golf world. Sometimes we take real world things, but it's basically like looking at two topics or uh, a subject in the world and being like, okay, is that something that's like normal or okay, acceptable, or is that not acceptable? Um, And so I'm going to, and so you're going to be the subject of both of ours, and then you can ask us one if you got one. Um, So my first one, you've been to quite a few golf tournaments. I, I haven't been to as many professional tournaments. Mitchell and I got to go to a corn Ferry event this year up in, um, up in when is it Windsor? I don't know. The Longmont. Longmont at, uh, at the PGA course up there or the TPC course up there. Um, but fairway or four Ryan wearing full on golf attire, like you're going to play to a PGA or any sort of professional event as a fan, as a spectator. So do you mean like golf pants, like pants, shoes, hat, like sometimes I've seen gloves, like shirt, like, is that a normal thing? Is that okay in your book? Or is that like, dude, just wear a a quarter zip or, you know, a polo and some shorts and maybe some Sperry's, whatever. I'm going to say, man, I want to, you know, I want to say four, but I think fairway because it's like, you know what, 
you're out you can do whatever you want when you're at a golf golf tournament like so if you want to wear if you want to wear a bird, big bird costume like you can wear that like if you want to wear full-on golf attire and be a hardo and like think like you should be on the tour you can do that too it's just like it comes with the risk of people probably making fun of you so that's a fair way though in general it's almost like wearing a jersey to a game you know like wearing a player's jersey you're not playing in the game but you've got this guy's jersey on so I, I, I can see where you're coming from. Um, well, I was, I, I've got some Chicago ones cause I, I heard you said you're a Chicago fan, but, um, I will, I'll stick with golf. So fairway or four, we all know the Ryder cup is unbelievable, but there's the majors, there's everything else. And there's kind of like a split opinion on this, but Fairway or four is the Ryder Cup the best event in golf, hands down. Oh man, got <laughs> some tough questions. <laughs> Do you mean like best event to attend or best event to like? And watch? I guess yeah, that's kind of open to interpretation. But like from any atmosphere you've experienced, just to even to be there to witness to watch on TV. And I guess it's different too. I don't want to like split hairs, but if you're not from one of the countries that is playing in the event, you know, it, it's a little bit different, but from, from an American's perspective, is there anything better than a Ryder cup? Um, I think I, I would say the Ryder cup for me is fairway, but I would tie, I would tie that up with uh, attending the masters too. Okay. Yeah. Well, and that's okay. Yeah. So those are both, those are both T1 for me because they're both totally different things. Like from a viewing experience, the masters is the best from a, like an atmosphere experience experience. The Ryder cup is the best because it's like just like electric, like every day, like from 7am in the morning at the first tee till four o'clock in the afternoon. But the masters kind of has its own vibe. So I would say fairway, but tied with the masters. That's I. That's totally fair. I completely get that. All right, Chicago ones. You can say it. Um, Chicago. Well, I was gonna say. I mean, you said you're a Blackhawks fan, a Cubs fan. Um, I was gonna say. I was gonna say. Uh, we ha- we kind of had this debate because Chris Bryant and Nolan Arenado, when he was with the. Uh, the Colorado Rockies rest in peace, his Rockies career. Um, but we always had the debate who's better Chris Bryan or Nolan Arenado. And I never thought it was much of a debate, but I want to hear it from a Chicago side is no, was Nolan Arenado better than Chris Bryant when they were both with the Chicago Cubs fair when I'm sorry, when Chris was with Chicago and Nolan was with Colorado fairway or four. Um, I would say because I always felt I would (laughs) I felt like Chris Bryant was if the Cubs were bad if if everyone else was bad on the Cubs at least Chris Bryant was 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 there because you knew he could always produce right when he was at like his peak like Rizzo's kind of the big home run guy Baez is kind of hit or miss but better at like fielding but Bryant was always like okay this guy's gonna go two for four with three RBIs so maybe I just, I don't know as much, I guess, about Arenado as maybe I should, but yeah. 
Well, he always choked in big, big spots. So I guess I can't totally disagree with you. And Chris Bryant would never do that. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, wait, I hate Chris Bryant now because he's on the Cubs. Sorry. He would do that all the time. (laughs) Right, right. Exactly. All right, Ryan, do you, uh, do you have one for us? It can even be as small as something that bothers you on the golf course, like using a giant ass ball marker, something of that nature um, that, that you have for, as a fair, as a fairway or four, because we, what we do is we end up like, we tweet these out to like our followers and get like their vote on it too. And then we always revisit it the next pod. Okay. I got like one. This, then this, you'll like this one. Cause you guys both probably teach too. fairway or four. Is it okay to give someone an unsolicited swing tip if you seem like struggling? Spencer, go ahead. Okay, I'm going to say for 99% of the population, even if you're a good golfer, it's four. It's not, it's not a thing that's allowed. And even me as a PGA professional at thinks I know golf, uh, Mitchell's a lot better with teaching than I am and knows a lot more than I do. Um, but even – if I was like a regular 20 handicap on the range and some guy just started telling me what, about my swing, I'd probably be pretty heated. So I'll, I'll have to like tip the scales here to the, the four aspect of that. Even if I know what I'm talking about. And even yeah. if the person knows <laughs> I was going to say, sometimes it's hard to hold back. Yeah. I, I would also lean towards four. There is a time and a place for it. And if, if somebody knows who I am and they, uh, they open well. I I guess I was gonna say if they ask me for help, then I will help them. But if it's unsolicited, I usually stay away from it just because I don't want to be that guy. That even if I could help them a lot, I will wait for them to to ask for help because I don't think if if somebody doesn't want to ask for it, then I'm not gonna be like, oh well, I think it's my job to help you, you know. But there is some times where people. No, and they're and they always preface it well well if you see anything you know in my game let me know and but like you said that's solicited at that point so unsolicited i stay away from it mostly because i'm usually pretty drunk on the golf course and i don't really want anybody to know who i am or how good at golf i am whatever so i just try to stay away from it and if they ask, they ask, but if they don't, I have no problem not saying a word. So <laughs> that, that was a good one. Yeah. And we both, we all three of us know that there are people out there that just would say whatever is on their mind. And Oh, well, you- and it's usually the people that are the worst They're, It's like the blind leading the blind. It's, <laughs> it's, uh, uh, it's right. asinine. Right. Yeah. But that's what, that's what keeps us in, in jobs and making a hundred bucks an hour teaching. So I'm not going to, I'm not going to tell people to quit doing it, but I'm just going to do what I I think is right. That's perfect. Well, Ryan, thanks, man. Thanks so much for joining us. This was an awesome interview. Thanks for a little insight into what it's like to write. Um, Real quick, before we finish too, are you writing something right now? Can you tell us? Are you allowed to say, um, are you working on something at the time that we'll see in next next month's PGA magazine? Or what? I guess when does it come out? It's probably coming out. We should be getting it. Well, well actually, November. yeah, it actually just came out. Um, uh, this today was the first day of the digital magazine, but you'll probably um, get that the hard copy in the next couple of weeks. December, I didn't write. I was kind of involved from the photo standpoint from our cover story. Um, 
I didn't really write much in December. November was my Ryder Cup review. So if you if you got that one, I actually tried to do the Ryder Cup review um, and make it like kind of a fun kind of story to read versus just like recapping what happened. Like, for instance, at the PGA member club, I met a PGA pro who proposed to his girlfriend on the 16th fairway at Whistling Straits during the Ryder Cup. Oh, that's legendary. That was kind of cool. Like kind of those like little inside stories. I tried to make it. So that was in the November issue, but right now I'm working on January. So we're previewing the PGA show and that's going to come back to the in-person experience for the first time since 2019. So that'll be kind of interesting to, to cover. So that's what I'm working on right now though. Cool. Love it, man. Well, we're going to put out uh, some of your links to your articles in the, in the article of this, when it comes out with the podcast, but we appreciate you joining us, man. This was awesome. And, Thanks so uh, much, Ryan. It was a blast. Yeah, I really it, enjoyed it's it. It's great to hear the insight. So we appreciate yeah, it. Yeah, of course. Happy to do it, guys. We hope you enjoyed this interview with Ryan Adams. Make sure to check out some of his articles in the PGA Magazine. Dude's an awesome writer and an even better person. So like and follow us on Twitter at DNVR underscore golf. Make sure you're subscribing to the pod if you haven't already. Give us a review. If you like us, give us a good review. If you don't, give us a bad review. Any, any review and any feedback helps. So thanks for tuning in to this week's edition of Big Drive Energy. We'll talk to you all next week. Peace. Peace.